Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this message from May 23rd, 2021, Luke Hedinger covers part three of the What is the Bible series, focusing on the biblical narrative as it covers the life of Abraham. Luke pulls truth from Genesis 12 through 16 to help us see how God is undoing Babel through the life of Abraham. For more information, please visit compasscfc.com. Man, it is good to be in church this morning. Amen. And I want to want to continue to say welcome to those of you who are still at home. It's it's weird how things continue to to kind of open up and and new normals are starting and all this. We're still in it, right? And that's I guess it's just life. So uh, praise God for it. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Luke. I'm usually helping out with worship, but today I'm doing this uh, because Craig is not here. Um, if you haven't noticed over the past couple weeks, last week Jordan was preaching and and. Craig is actually in California right now working on his doctorate. Every now and then he has to, to go back and be in person. Um, so you can be praying for him as, as I'm sure he is going through some intense study. Um, so yeah, just, just be praying for him. But, but this morning, I'm excited to continue our walk through this, this sermon series on what is the Bible. Um, again, we took a break last week, but then the, the couple weeks before that, we started with creation and then the fall. And if you remember, there are some hand motions with this sermon series. You guys remember this? Yes, some of you are like, yeah, I remember, kind of remember. Um, yeah, so I've asked, yeah, if you guys want to come. I've asked a few people if they would come up and help me because, to be honest, I've been a little nervous trying to, trying to remember what these hand motions are. So uh, anybody else want to come up? Anybody brave? I asked Rod. No, nobody wants to come up. All right, well, we're going we're gonna to do this thing, okay? You guys ready? Go ahead and stand up with us, if you will. And, and we're going, I, I wrote these down, so I have kind of a cheat sheet. So I don't know if you can see that too. All right, we're all going to do this together. You guys ready? Yes. Okay, there we go. All right, ready? All right, creation, fall, Abraham, Exodus, Torah, David, prophets, Jesus and his kingdom, Jesus and his cross, Church, Paul, Revelation. All right, can you give him a hand? We did it. Good job, guys. Thank you so much. You guys can be seated. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis 12. You might be thinking, why are we doing these dumb hand motions? What is that all about? Uh, well, through this whole sermon series, we're looking at these different movements um, throughout the book of, uh, th- well, throughout the book, throughout Scripture, uh, the Hebrew Bible and the Greek New Testament. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, okay, how do we, how do we see the forest, right? How do we see the whole thing? What, what are the movements? What are the, what are the things? And, and this morning what we're going to be looking at is, is this one. Do you remember what this one is? Abraham. There you go. Some of you were paying attention. Next week it's? Exodus, there we go. Um, so this morning we're looking at Abraham, and as we look at, the, and to be honest, guys, there is so much that we could talk about um, as we look at the story of Abraham, as we look at the account of Abraham. And, and what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of look at three different parts. And, and what we're doing is we're looking at how God is undoing Babel, because that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. If you weren't here when, when Craig was talking about the fall, I would encourage you to go back, uh, listen to that message, because because Craig did an incredible job of just laying out how the fall is not just Genesis 3. 
It's not just Adam and Eve and the serpent and the tree. It's Genesis 3 through Genesis 11. And what we see at Genesis 3 is Adam and Eve, they listen to a voice other than God. They eat from a tree that is, is not the right tree. It's not the tree that God wanted them to eat from. And then, and then we see the curses of the land and the serpent. But then the promise of the seed, the promise that, that I am going to set this right, that God says. And, and, and I love it because, you know, Eve, she, has, she gets pregnant and she has a son. And she's thinking, maybe this son, maybe, maybe my son Cain will be the one to set things right. Ugh. Not so much, right? Cain kills Abel, and then everything just continues to spin out of control until you get to Genesis 11, and it's kind of the crescendo of human depravity. And, and, and the floods in there and all these different things. And in Genesis 11, all the, all the peoples are together. They're in one place. They're, they're making it, and they're kind of thumbing their nose at God. And God comes down. He confuses their language, creates nations. And, and ever since, people have been living in exile and confusion and, and fear and brokenness. But then we see in Acts 2, we see God's answer to Babylon, to Babel, right? In Acts 2, we see that the nations come together in Jerusalem, all speaking different languages. They come together, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, they hear one language. And we see that God is undoing Babel. He's undoing the curse. And yet, it's almost as if we're, we're like, yeah, but how, how do we get from Genesis 11 to Acts 2? What, what happens in between there? It's like my, my daughter and uh, my wife, they, they've been watching this new show. And, and I'll just catch episodes here and there. And I was watching one episode with them. And the, the main character, this woman, she's, she's kind of being pursued by this, this romantic interest. And it's kind of like, oh, I don't, there's just something not right with this guy. And I kind of hope that this doesn't work out. But there's this other guy where it's like, oh, yeah, but that would be so good and that would be fun if she if, if they were together and they were a couple and it's like but I don't know how this is going to work out and then the other day I watched another episode with them and the first guy was out of the picture and the second guy is like oh they're together oh that's so much fun I'm glad that but, but it's like but what happened right and I'm asking them like but where'd this go and what happened here and they're like Shh, you, you just got to watch the show if you want to know right and but it's like I'm glad I'm glad this happened here but the question is what happened in between how do we get from Genesis 11 to Acts 2? And I believe as we, as we start to walk through the story, we see through Abraham, we see God, God's plan and God's purposes to undo Babel. And if you have your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to look in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is kind of a jumping off point. And as we, as we go here, what I want us to see is that before this point, Genesis 1 through 11 covers about a thousand years of human history. Do you realize that? The first 11 chapters covers about a thousand years. That's a long time, right? That's a long time. The next, the next 10 years, or the next 10 chapters, the next 10 chapters covers, do you know how many years? Any guesses? 25. We go from, we go from like fast forward thousand years to, to like the, the biblical author is, is like putting the brakes on hardcore. And I believe what he's doing, the, the author is doing, he's saying, hey, take note. This is where things change. This is, this is where, where things are happening. Even the way the genealogies are written in the end of Genesis and, and, and with, with Adam and Noah and now Abraham, we are meant to read this in a way that we realize that Abraham is a new 
beginning, that God is doing something new through Abraham. Even, even as we read Genesis 12, we're supposed to read it in light of what happened in Genesis 11, where people go into confusion, and now Abraham. And now we read Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Would you pray with me just real quick as we, as we look into his word. God, we praise you for, for your goodness. We praise you for your mercy. God, I praise you for, for bringing us all together here in this place this morning. And God, I pray that you would speak through your word. God, give us ears to hear and heart to comprehend. And, and God, just help us to be laid open before you today. It's in your name. Amen. Church, what we see here is God is, is revealing himself. He's revealing how he's undoing Babel. And the first thing that we see is as he's undoing Babel through this man, Abram, soon to be Abraham, the first thing we see is he's drawing him out of Babel. He's drawing him out of Babylon. Now you might say, yeah, well, we get that. That's part of it. But, but the thing that we, I don't think that we understand that we, that we miss so often that we see in light of the biblical narrative is that this place that Abraham is being drawn out of, it's a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur of the Chaldeans, we know, so we know later on in Isaiah and in other places, but in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 19, I don't have it on the screen, but we see that the glory of the Chaldeans, so Abraham is coming out of Ur of the Chaldeans, the glory of the Chaldeans is the city of Babylon. So what we see there is Abraham is being actively drawn out of Babylon. He's being drawn out of Babel. God is saying, Abraham, will you come out of what you know? Will you come out of this place of confusion and brokenness and, and, and kind of the, the, the symbol of humanity's pride and brokenness? Will you come out of that and follow me into something that you don't know? Will you, will you follow me in that? And, and we know, I mean, this is a con consistent theme throughout Scripture, right? We get that. I mean, think about some of, some of our favorite uh, Bible verses throughout the Old Testament. I mean, just a couple of examples. Joshua 24, 15. Joshua is saying, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. You remember this verse? Ringing some bells. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will what? We will serve the Lord. Uh, God is, uh, through Joshua, he's saying, will you come out of what you know? Will you follow me into what you don't? Again, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and, what? Heal their land. God is drawing people out. When Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew and in the Sermon on the Mount, one of his, uh, the first uh, public sermons that Matthew records, Jesus, he's, he's kind of given a State of the Union address. He's saying, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is what, and, and in that he says, you have heard it said, dot, 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 but I say to you, dot, dot, dot. Right? You have heard it said, come out of this place that you are, come into something that maybe you don't know. 
Come out from where you are and follow me into a place that I will show you. See, I, I believe that this is a, obviously this is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. And I think we as Christians, we're like, yeah, I get that. I know that. Right? We, we get that. And yet, at the, at the same time, I think while we, we kind of we get this, I don't think we get this. Yeah. We don't get this. I, I, I think of different passages throughout Scripture where, like in John chapter 5, where we read about the pool of Bethesda. And we don't, to be honest, I don't know what's going on in this pool. Right? If you know what was going on in this pool, you can come up to me and talk to me afterwards. But we read about this pool of Bethesda where all these sick and lame people would lay around it. And according to the, the author here, an angel of the Lord would come down, stir the water, and people would kind of throw themselves in. And whoever got there first, it's like, let's make a deal, right? It's like, come on down, right? And, and they would get healed. I don't know what's happening there. But we do know that there's a guy there that was laying lame and, and sick for 38 years. Years. For 38 years, this guy is laying there. Jesus comes on the scene, verse 6. Uh, John records, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? I feel like that's a jerky thing to ask. I mean, it, the, the author, like, specifically records, it, it, Jesus knew he'd been laying there for a long time. And he goes up to him and says, do you want to be healed? It's the same thing that I believe we read in Mark chapter 10 where we read about a blind man, blind Bartimaeus, where Jesus and his entourage are walking through the streets of Jerusalem. And, and this blind man, he's a beggar. He's been asking for people to take care of him. And, and he hears that it's Jesus. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people are like, shh, be quiet. He doesn't have time for you. They rebuke him. And then he, it says that as they're rebuking him, he screams all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops, and we read, he stops, and he's like, call him over here. And the people say, oh, take heart. The, the teacher is calling for you. I, I, in the way I read that, it's super snide. And, you know, they just got done rebuking him. And now Jesus is like, hey, don't do that. Like, come, let him come over. And they're like, hey, you should be glad. He's making time for you in his busy schedule. And so he, he throws off his cloak. He springs up. And we read, uh, we read in, in verse, uh, verse 51, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Does that strike anybody else as strange? I mean, in John, this man's been laying there for 38 years. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And now we see this guy who is identified by his blindness, blind Bartimaeus, jumps up, says, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus is like, yeah, what do you need? I, it's, it's like, it seems like it's pretty obvious what he needs. It's like when, when I was working for my uncle a whole lifetime, like 18 years ago, we were building houses and doing construction, and, and one day we were remodeling this office space, and I, I found myself up on top of a ladder, and I had a nail gun, and I was nailing some nailers up into the ceiling, and uh, this is the first time I had used this nail gun. It was a little different model than I was used to. And, and I got everything set, and I pushed the nail gun against the, the, the board that I was nailing. And I had this thought in my head, I don't really know where this nail is going to come out of this gun. <laughs> Which probably isn't the greatest thing to ask when you're, you know, and I thought, that's eh, fine. I mean, this is the first time I'd used this nail gun. It was a different model. And I, and I thought, it's probably fine. Pulled the trigger, poof, and all of a sudden I feel against my hand. I, I look down like this. You probably can feel, you know, it's like I look down and there's a 16 penny nail sticking out of my hand about, I don't know, an inch and a half. 
I, <laughs> I climb down off the ladder. I go over to my friend who we were working together in this space. And, and he says, what would you do? And I just raise my hand like this. <laughs> I'm just looking at it. And in that moment, he, he didn't say, well, I don't know. What's wrong with you? What do you need? In that moment, instead, what he did was he's like, hold on, wait right there. And he runs over to his tool belt. He grabs his pliers, runs back over like this, and, and he, he, like, he has them open coming up. I said, you're not touching me. And he said, but that's got to come out. And luckily, my uncle walked in at that time. He sees Robert, my friend, like this, me like this. And he's like, let's go to the emergency room. I'm like, thank God. And went to the emergency room. They yanked it out. It's, we're all good. I don't have a nail in my hand anymore. But in that moment... It was, it was painfully obvious what my need was, right? In these moments, it seems as though it's painfully obvious what those people needed. This guy was 38 years trying to get into this pool to find healing. This man, see, these people were identified by their, by their ailments, right? They were identified by their brokenness. This blind man, his name is Blind Bartimaeus. That's how we know I mean, there's, there's a guy we read elsewhere of a guy named Simon the, Simon the leper. In the first service, people were like, Simon the tanner? No, not that one. Simon the zealot? No, not that one. Simon the leper, right? These people were oftentimes, people are identified by their physical ailments. It's like, hey, you know Simon. Oh, yeah, Simon the leper. Oh, yeah, Simon the leper. I know Simon. You know, they're identified by their brokenness, but it doesn't just have to be physical. It's not just physical things that, that we identify with. I mean, we, we read about Rahab the prostitute, the harlot. See, it can be other things that, that give us our identity. And the reason I think that it's so important as we stop to, to look at what does it mean for us to be called out of Babel, I believe healing has implications oftentimes we can be identified, we can take on this identity of, of our own brokenness. We can take on the, I, I remember growing up, my identity was one of like a crazy guy who has denied Jesus. That was my identity. And going through high school, there were times where it's like that identity brought me so much pain and, and depression and heartache. And yet as I was in the midst of it, I didn't know how to get out of it because that was who I was. You see, we can come to those places. It's, it's like people who, unfortunately, people who are in abusive relationships. And I'm not making light of this whatsoever. I think it, it is sad that people who go through are in abusive relationships, statistically speaking, even if they get out of the relationship they're in, most of the time they will go back to an, either that same relationship or another abusive relationship. And there's probably a lot of reasons for this, but one of the reasons is because they might not like it, but it's what's known. See, as, as God is calling Abram out of Babel and as God continues to call us out of Babel, there are implications to being called out. There are, there are things where it's like we are asked to lay things aside and lay things down and come out of what is known and come out of the identities that we've taken upon ourselves where it's like I am this. This is what my culture says. This is what my family has identified me with. And we, we are called to lay those aside and come into something that we might not understand, we might not know, and yet we are called to trust that God is in control and that he 
has something better for us. This is what we see here. God is undoing Babel by first and foremost calling Abraham out of Babel. Calling him out of Babylon. The, the next thing we see in that, though, he's calling him out of Babel and he's, he's inviting him to trust once again in, in, in who God is and what God says is right. As, as Craig put it a couple weeks ago, he's, he's calling Abraham to eat from the correct tree to listen to the right voice. That's, that's all part of this thing. It's realigning Abraham with what is correct. I mean, we see all throughout the story of Abraham, and we're not going to go to these places. I would so strongly encourage you over this week to go back and read the story of Abraham. And as you read it, I think a lot of these things will start to come up, and we'll read it in different ways and in different lights. But, but as we read this, I mean, as he's called out, first of all, he's called out from his father's house to where? Where is he called to? Canaan, right? But, but it's like to a land I will show you. God doesn't say, hey, you're going to take a ride on Highway 70 and then you're going to follow it 15 miles and you're going to take a left. No, he's saying, will you come out of what you know and just, just follow me, just trust me. And, and then from there, I mean, the, the promise is that he's going to make his name great. He's going to make him become a nation of people. And yet he is childless and his, his wife is barren. Isn't that crazy? I mean, over and over and over again throughout this, throughout this, this series, through, throughout this, the, the story of Abraham, we see Abraham saying, yeah, but God, I, I trust you, but. I trust you, but, but what about this? I trust you. I mean, uh, in, in Genesis chapter 15, we see God is, is reaffirming uh, the, the covenant with, with Abraham. He's formalizing the covenant with Abraham. And 15 obviously comes right after 14. And in chapter 14, Abraham rescues Lot. And, and as he goes out against all these kings, he comes back, he saves everybody, and, and the, the Melchizedek comes and blesses him. And then the king of Sodom comes, and he's like, hey, I'm going to give you all these riches. What does Abraham do? He's like, no thanks. I don't want it to be said of me that you made me rich. And what he's doing there is he's saying, I'm going to trust that God is, is at work here. Even though I can't see it, even though I don't understand it, I'm going to trust. And then in 15, God comes to Abraham. Right after this, God comes to him and says, Abraham, I am your shield. I am your protector. Your reward will be great. Right after Abraham walks in faith and says, I don't want anything from you, king. God says, I'm going to give you everything, Abraham. And Abraham right after that says, that's great, God, but you still haven't given me a kid. This promise that you gave me, this covenant that you've made with me to make me a great nation, I mean, let's just start. Can we just start there? Let's just, let's just go there, right? And in that, God, uh, we, we see that what Abraham's doing is he's looking at himself. He's looking at what is natural. He's looking at what is possible from his perspective. And then God right after that says, Abraham, let's go outside. It's at night. Let's go outside. Abraham, elevate your thinking. Look up beyond the horizon of what you can see as possible. Let's look at the stars. Let's look at the stars if you can name them. Yeah, I, I love it because he's like, if you can name them, that's how many kids. I am good for my promises. And Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God in that moment. He believed him and, and yet he still struggled 
with this idea of, yeah, but, but God, I, I trust you, but how's this going to work? I trust you, but this. And then right after that, God has Abraham get all these animals, cut them in half, and kind of make an aisle. You know, it's like a cow, a goat, a couple of birds, and like these, these different birds. And this, this is a very common practice in the, in the ancient uh, Eastern world. People, if they were gonna, if they were gonna make an agreement, they'd be like, "All right, let's get a goat, let's tear it apart." It's like, "Whoa, that seems really gross." But they would, they would put it on either side, and they would walk through it, and symbolically, they would say, "If I break this covenant, let what happened to this goat happen to me." I mean, even I, one of the things I, I've learned uh, through being in ministry, a marriage, when when you when you are at a wedding ceremony, the aisle is symbolic of this. As your family and friends are split apart and as you and, and your bride or your groom walk down that aisle, what you are symbolically saying is if we break our marriage covenant, let us be torn apart. Isn't that crazy? You see, in the midst of that, though, in Genesis 15, we see that Abraham, he does this. He, he separates these animals and then he basically falls asleep. He, he's put under, he's, he's put under and, and God, anesthetic, I don't know, he, he's put under and then he has this vision of God showing up as this, this smoking pot and a flaming torch. And what does the presence of God do? You can go back and read it. What does the presence of God do in that moment? What's he do? Do you remember? He walks through the animals. He, he walks down the, the aisle symbolically saying, Abraham, I am the God who is faithful. Abraham, I keep my promises. Abraham, my promises to you will be fulfilled, not because of how good you are, not because of how awesome you can keep my covenant, but because of how faithful I am. Amen? That's good news. We see that all throughout Scripture, that our salvation is not dependent on how good we are, but, on how, uh, but it's all dependent on how good God is and what he has done through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? That is good news. And because right after that, we see that, that Abraham, he goes in chapter 16, Sarah goes to Abraham. At the time, her name is Sarai. She goes to Abraham and says, look, it's not happening with me. I'm not having any kids, and I keep getting older. Why don't you take Hagar? Maybe God will give me kids through Hagar. And what we know to be true about Hagar is Hagar was an Egyptian servant. You can go back and read this and, and kind of connect these pieces. But the name Hagar literally, uh, literally means immigrant. And so we see this man who, who God says, you're going to be blessed to be a blessing to all nations. He and his wife sexually oppress an immigrant woman among them. That's what happened. See, one of the things I love about the Bible is it doesn't whitewash its characters. This is not Okay. And, and we see that through this, through this Hagar, she gets pregnant, and then she begins to oppress Sarai. Then Sarai, she gets mad at Abraham, and Abraham's like, hey, this wasn't my idea. It takes this totally uh, passive role. And then Sarai, she begins to oppress Hagar. Hagar, I mean, just all of this mess comes out of this. And then the next chapter, God shows up to Abraham. It's about 10 years later, a little over 10 years later. God shows up to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, walk blameless before me. I'm your God. And then he gives him the sign of the covenant. He reaffirms the covenant with him, gives him the sign of the covenant, which is what? You remember? Circumcision, right? Yay. Everybody say it with, no, I'm kidding. Right? 
He gives them the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. Do you know the only other time that we have the covenant with a sign is right after the flood? We have the sign of the rainbow, the God's war bow in the, in the clouds, in the sky. And, and in that time, what was said was, look, I'm never going to do this again. There was destruction, creation, uh, destroyed humanity. And in the place that that destruction came from, I'm going to place a sign. I'm hanging up my war bow so that you know that I am the God of, of my promises, that I'm, I'm faithful to you. Now again, in the very place that Abraham used to oppress in his sexual organ, God says, I'm going to put a sign there. That that is mine as well. That the thing that you use to oppress, I'm going to use to bring, uh, bring about the seed that will, that will fulfill the promise. And it's almost as if God is not only saying, look, Abraham, it's not, again, it's not about how good you can do. It's not about how your body can perform. It's about how faithful I am and not only that, but Abraham, this is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to, to hear my voice, to eat from the right tree, is that we do not oppress people in that way. That every time you look down, you will remember not only my faithfulness, but you will remember that we don't do that as people of God. Right? That we are about more than that. That when we react out of fear and when we react out of trying to figure out our own ways, that is not, that is not what God has in store for us. And, and I love it because as we think about this, as we think about the fact that God is continuously realigning Abraham, he's continuously, in, he, he keeps reintroducing himself. As you read back through the story, God keeps showing up and says, Abraham, I am. Abraham, I am your shield. I am your portion. I am your God. He, he keeps reintroducing. He's like, all right, Abraham, remember, this is who I am. And so, therefore, this is who you are. Realign yourself. And you see, we as, as people of God, we see Paul talk about this in Romans. In, in, Romans, uh, in Romans chapter uh, 15, uh, Romans 4. Romans 4, Paul basically says, hey, this, this was credited to Abraham as righteous, his faith. It wasn't about his actions. It wasn't about how good he can do. And therefore, he says, and I think I have it up on the screen, therefore, in Romans 5, 1, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way that it was not based on, on Abraham's performance, his salvation, the promise, in the same way it's not based on our performance to take part in this promise of God. For God to continue to undo Babel in our lives. It's based on the, the, the fact that God is faithful. Amen. Not only that, but, but as God is, is bringing, it, it's almost like as God is bringing Abraham out of Babel, he's continuously bringing Babel out of Abraham. He's saying, we are not that anymore. You are not that anymore. Will you align yourself with me, with who I am? And not only that, this isn't just for Abraham to be like, oh, man, I love being blessed. Man, I got lots of camels and I got lots of servants. Like this wasn't just for Abraham to get all fat and sassy, right? This was, this was for the nations. 
See, that's the, that's the next thing we see is that God is bringing Abraham out of Babel. He's undoing Babel. He's bringing Abraham out of Babel. He's bringing Babel out of Abraham. He's realigning. He's, he's inviting Abraham to realign himself with who God says, with what God says is right and true. And he's saying, Abraham, there's a purpose in this blessing. I'm going to make you a conduit of blessing. I'm going to bless you so that you can bless the nation. So that when people look at you, they'll see what it looks like to follow me. Do you see that? And, I mean, if, if we look back at, at Genesis 12, I mean, he says, I will bless you. I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. See, see, church, in the same way that, that we see that in the calling and the covenant of Abraham, we see that when, when God gives the sign of circumcision, that it wasn't just for people who were born under Abraham's family. It wasn't just for people who could call themselves Israelites or Jewish the, the purpose, the sign of the covenant of circumcision was for all people who found themselves a part of Abraham's household. You didn't have to be related. And in the same way, in the same way, this is true for us today. Galatians 3, 7 through 9, I have it up on the screen. Paul says this, um, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, let's, let's pause there. Sons, we can say sons and daughters of Abraham. Who are the sons and daughters of Abraham? Huh? I am. am. Yeah, we are. I am. Amen. We, those who are of of, of faith, are the sons and daughters of Abraham. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ in here, you are a son or daughter of Abraham. Right? Praise God. Yeah, because it goes on. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Who's the Gentile? I am. Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Let's keep reading. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So who are the children of Abraham? We are. Who is blessed along with the blessing of Abraham? We are. 